Broadcasting live from the Business Radio X studios in Atlanta, Georgia, it's time for Workplace Wisdom. Sharing insight, perspective, and best practices for creating the planet's best workplaces. Now, here's your host. Welcome to another exciting and informative edition of Workplace Wisdom. Stone Payton with the Business Radio X Network here, and you are in for a real treat. Please join me in welcoming to the broadcast with Jack Cooper Investments, Miss Sarah Riggs Amico. Good morning, Sarah. Good morning, Stone. It's great to be with you today. Well, it is a delight to have you join us on air and uh, very interested in this conversation, certainly timely and uh, want to dive into some of the specific uh, issues and, and topics that I know you are working with on a, on a daily basis. But before we go there, could you help our listeners out and me as well with a little bit of a primer, overview, mission, purpose uh, about uh, what you you guys are out there trying to do for folks? Yeah, absolutely. So Jack Cooper Transport is a 93-year-old business. We were founded in 1928 just outside of Kansas City, Missouri. And in fact, we still operate today in that same location where we serve one of our largest customers, General Motors. In fact, we've been a supplier to General Motors for that entire 93-year period, which if you think about it, in a world where so many supplier and customer relationships are so transient, so temporary, uh, is really remarkable. So Uh, The company was founded, not surprisingly, by a gentleman named Jack Cooper, Mm -hmm. and three generations of the Cooper family ran the business. And for a long time, um, this has been this gold standard in the car haul business. So for your listeners, anyone who's ever seen those double-decker trucks full of cars, uh, that is what we call a car haul rig. That's what we do. And we usually, in in a normal year, 2021, for many, many reasons, is not normal, Uh, in the supply chain, as I'm sure many of your listeners have heard, but particularly for automotive. In a normal year, we move about three and a half to four million vehicles a year, which is about Uh one out of every four cars in the North American market we will touch. So we operate across the U.S., Mexico, and Canada with about 35 terminal operations delivering to over 20,000 points of delivery. And we are very proud to be family-owned. We are a certified woman-owned business. I'm very proud of that. We're certified by the WeBank Agency. So we represent hundreds of millions of dollars in qualified diversity supplier spend for our largest customers like Ford and General Motors. Um, The Cooper family ran the business until 2009. And at that time, Mr. Tim Cooper, the grandson of the founder, was the head of the business. And of course, we were in the midst of of the Great Recession. Um, My family had acquired a small business called Active Car Hall, which was about 120 employees and about 28 million in revenue in 2008. And the company was dying. Um, And thanks largely to the work of my dad at the time, we were able to save that business. And the Cooper family um, was really struggling with Jack Cooper. And one of our largest customers came to us and said, we know it's unusual, but we'd like you to help save one of your competitors, Jack Cooper. Um, they're, they're really important in the auto supply chain, and we're worried they're not going to make it. Remember, um, this is early 2009, late 2008, so it's a very scary time. 
um, right before the auto industry bailout. And we said, of course. And we worked out a plan with Mr. Cooper, how we thought they could save their business. And he was an absolute gentleman. He said, you know, I believe this will work. But what I really want is another family to take care of our people the way my family has for three generations. And so he sold us his business. And overnight, uh, we grew by tenfold. And, you know, about a month after we bought Jet Cooper, two of our largest customers, General Motors and Chrysler, both declared bankruptcy. And it was the kind of white knuckle turnaround work that you think you'll only read about in the paper. Uh, and I can tell you it's a lot different when you're experiencing it on the front lines. So we were very fortunate. We not only survived the Great Recession, but the company actually grew. Today, we employ over 2,500 people. Uh, about 2,000 of those are Teamster truck drivers. We're very proud to be union. We've been Teamster since, I believe, the 1950s. And we also have machinists in some of our auto mechanic shops or our, our mechanic shops. So it's a great business. Um, if you drive a car, it's about a one in four chance you have Jack Cooper to thank for transporting it at some point in time. <laughs> and that's a pretty extraordinary thing. Uh, what an inspiring origin story. And I think uh, I know for myself, and I suspect this is true for a lot of uh, lay people, let, let's say, I I tend to uh, not dismiss, but uh, forget about or, or not fully acknowledge just how dependent we are on moving goods <laughs> in and around this country until I go on a road trip. And then, and then it dawns on me, all of these folks, you know, hauling all of these things we need from, from food to vehicles. It's such an important part of the infrastructure of the, of the country and, and, and the economic system. Now, it strikes me that it might be, and maybe this will sound old-fashioned, but I'd, I'd, I'd like to get this validated. It, it seems to me like it would be a little bit unusual usual uh, to to have a female in an executive level position in a uh, in, in a trucking company am I just being old-fashioned or is that actually still the case this day and age <laughs> um, you know it is a little bit unusual and and I've told the story many times that um, for a long time at the business I was the only woman on the management team at the senior levels so the only woman in the boardroom. Uh, but that has changed. Um, I've been an owner since 2009. I've been on the board since 2011. And I was elected executive chairman by our independent board in 2014. So I've been at this for a good long while now. And I'm very proud to say at this point, uh, Jack Cooper is actually a leader in having women in management. About 30% of our management throughout the company is female uh, we're currently being considered for a, a major award in our industry for diversity, equity, and inclusion. Um, we believe that having a diversity of management and employees at all levels is important, not because it checks a box, but because it broadens your horizon. It broadens your point of view. It makes the discussions in the boardroom or the executive team or a department or a business unit more thoughtful, more inclusive. And we find that that produces better business results. And, and, you know, I think it's a key component to Jack Cooper's resilience. This is a really tough business. Um, you mentioned how important trucking is. And I always like to joke, if you eat oranges in Idaho in the winter, you're welcome. Uh, thank, a, thank a trucker. Um, but, you know, we have over 3 million CDL commercial driver's license holders in this country. 
Um, truck drivers have been heroes on the front lines of this pandemic, um, making sure that the goods we need, the food we eat, the clothes we wear gets where it needs to go. Um, putting in long hours, um, particularly now as we look at some of the backups in the ports around the country and some of the supply chain disruption. But for anyone listening, if you'll just take a look around the room you're sitting in or the car you're in, the clothes you're wearing, over 70% of it traveled on a truck um, for some good distance. And, and most things travel on a truck for what we call last mile. So you may be able to take the railroads for you know stretches of hundreds or thousands of miles, but at some point, the, the railroad doesn't stop at Walmart's loading dock. And so trucking really is part of what keeps this country moving and fed and what keeps our economy humming. And so I think a, a big part of being resilient within that context is making sure that you're connected to the communities where we live and work. So, so yes, it might be a little odd um, in the traditional sense to have a female chief executive, although there are others. Um, most notably, of course, here in Atlanta uh, at UPS with Ms. Tomei. And, yeah. and I think this is certainly changing, but I can tell you at Jack Cooper, it's changing intentionally. Uh, we want a workplace that reflects the communities where we live and work. We want a management team that looks like the world around us. And we believe that'll deliver better business results for our customers, our investors, and our team members. So you shared specifically the imagery you used was, you know, we didn't just want to check a, check a box. Do, some, do a few strategies, tactics, I don't know, cultural guidelines come to mind that, that you guys are, are just actively trying to, to practice some disciplines that you've employed to ensure that this, this diversity, equity, inclusion really comes to, comes to life for you guys? Yeah, absolutely. And, and I think it starts first and foremost with respecting the dignity of work. Uh, whether you are a custodian in one of our buildings, uh, by the way, I have two of my four grandparents who worked as custodians. Um, one of my grandmother on my mom's side cleaned hotel rooms and hospital rooms until she uh, had to leave the workforce for Alzheimer's. And my dad's dad uh, started as a janitor in his elementary school and, and later was a custodial worker, by the way, in a General Motors factory, which sort of began my family's three-generation love affair with the U.S. auto industry. And so I think respecting the dignity of work, whether you are the chief executive or the guy delivering the cars, the people who make the business happen, is at the core of everything we do. Um, but Jack Cooper is a values-driven company, and we have those values printed on our business cards, hanging in our locations, but most importantly, connected to our operations. So when we talk about excellence in operations, we mean it. We measure a variety, a wide variety of metrics every day and every week that filter all the way up to the chief executive and the board um, to check how we're doing and to track what the business looks like, where the hot spots are, where there's room for improvement, uh, and where there are best practices that we need to take across the organization. When we talk about integrity, we mean it. Um, there can be no progress and there can be no success in a business, or I would argue in society, if you don't have a common set of facts. Um, Meg Whitman, of course, was famous for saying, if you can measure it, you can manage it. But you got to be measuring stuff that actually exists. So integrity is at the core of what we do. 
Um, and I think we are unique probably among trucking companies in that one of our core values is innovation and imagination. And I think that comes partly based on our family's ethos. Uh, my dad and I are both fans of Star Trek movie called The Wrath of Khan that some of your listeners might have seen. Oh, yeah. And <laughs> it's famous, right, for this scene uh, where Captain Kirk is talking about the Kobayashi Maru, which is a, a test for the, you know, the Starfleet captains coming out of the academy designed to teach them how to deal with um, the no-win scenario. What happens when the ship is going to go down and everybody's going to die? How do you lead in that moment? And, of course, Captain Kirk sort of uh, games the system and becomes the first cadet ever to beat the Kobayashi Maru and to win. And later in the movie, he's stranded um, in you know, some alien planet. And uh, a young cadet, played by Kirstie Alley, actually, asks him, you know, what gives? What, <laughs> what, what happened? And he said, it's very simple. I don't believe in the no-win scenario. And I think <laughs> we've adopted that same sort of ethos. This is a tough business. And if you're willing to fly the white flag every time it gets tough, uh, you're going to be out of here in six seconds. <laughs> but it's a great, yeah, it's a great business. You just have to be creative. You know, we've, we have bought businesses out of bankruptcy. We've restructured the company in a bankruptcy. We have merged and acquired. We have adapted our operating systems. We have had to be agile to survive. And so creativity, innovation, imagination, those are really at the core of how we solve problems. And probably one of the best examples of that it always makes me giggle um, a lot of trucking networks, because people deliver freight from, say, point A to B, uh, but a lot of times have trouble getting what we call backhaul freight. So that would be returning from point B to A, right, or routing yeah. through a network back to your point of origin. <clears throat> and when you move specialized freight, like cars, for example, they're not sort of just laying around on every street corner. It's a pretty sophisticated logistics network. And we wanted to eliminate empty miles. Uh, we certainly wanted to lower fuel costs um, and idling and, you know, sort of the, the costs of the truck stay relatively static, whether or not you're, hire, you're hauling freight um, that produces revenue. But we couldn't afford to go and get brand new technology for fuel efficiency to replace our whole fleet would have cost hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars. And this was right in the middle of the Great Recession or sort of coming out of it. And so we thought, well, what else can we do? And we did what nerds do. We, we use math. We <laughs> came up with an, an algorithm that would more efficiently route our equipment and our drivers and those 42 different permutations of tractor trailer combinations we had through the system. And, you know, it was a, it was a pretty remarkable thing. We've taken our loaded miles percentage you know, if, if you go out full and you come back empty, that would be what we call 50% loaded miles. Um, average in our industry is probably somewhere in the mid 50s. I can't think it's much higher than that. May, some people may get up in the 60s. Uh, we're heading towards 70% and I'm confident we can hit 75. But it's not because we had more money or better equipment. I would argue we do have better drivers, of course. I, I love our Teamsters. Um, but it's because we were more creative. So that innovation and imagination 
is at the core. And, and I think health and safety, you can't run a transportation business without it. Um, and, and longevity. This is a business that has been around for the better part of a century. And as we approach our 100th birthday in 2028, my job as the executive chairman is to chart the course for what the next century will look like. How can we survive and be competitive and not just survive, but thrive, provide great service at a great price in a great working environment for our team. And I think part of how we do that is really envisioning what the industry could look like. I call it doing good and doing well. Um, We have always tried to do right by our people, whether that's investing in what we call Jack Cooper University, which is a continuous education program available for free to all of our employees, Um, whether that is supporting our union, uh, their health, welfare, and pension. It's a great job. Many of our drivers make six figures a year, and that's a good that's a good way to provide for your family um, or whether it's healthcare. You know, we are unique in many ways. Our Jack Cooper transport team, we pay a hundred percent of the health insurance premiums for all of our employees and their families. And it's good insurance. It's the same insurance my family and I have, our executives have. We, we're all on team care, our Teamster insurance plan. And we didn't do that because it's the cheapest thing to do. And we certainly didn't do it because it's trendy. We did it. <laughs> As we believe that's the right way to treat your people. And uh, it'll be a cold day in Hades before somebody who works for me is sick because they're poor or poor because they're sick. I don't believe in that. And so I think when we think about the next century and how do we continue that ethos of doing the right thing, trying to do good, but also do well, we're thinking about how do we become a carbon neutral trucking fleet? How do we take our carbon emissions, not just down, but to zero? How do we um, expand that diversity, equity, and inclusion so that it touches every part of our company, not just, again, to check a box, but to do better, uh, to be a better company with better ideas? How do we take care of our employees better? We, we think we do a really good job. We have paid leave. We've got unions. We've got paid health insurance. Um, we treat people very fairly, and we're proud of it. it but how, what else can we do? Those are the kinds of things I'm thinking about as I look to the next century. What is the kind of company I would want my daughters to work at? How would they treat my kids? And if it's not good enough for my daughters, it shouldn't be good enough for any of our employees. So I think, you know, it's a very long-winded way to answer what was a relatively straightforward question. <laughs> but it's, it's not just about gender. This is about the values that we tell people we live by. And if you're going to put them on your card you're going to put them on the wall in your office, you better be willing to put your money where your mouth is. And I'm proud to say at every turn that I can think of, uh, we've done exactly that. Well, we can hear your passion, your pride, your commitment, uh, even your, your resilience, it just, just in your voice. I can only imagine what it must be like hanging out with you and being in, <laughs> involved in this organization with that that theme and that ethos uh, so firmly grounded in, in the um, in the, the 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 work the 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 integrity and, and the dignity of, of of the work. Are you finding uh, or have you discovered that um, COVID has kind of had a little bit of a uh, a Kobayashi uh, uh, Maru impact? <laughs> Is it one of those? Oh, my word, yes. Yeah. <laughs> 
Oh my gosh, what a great question. It is, right? And it, and by the way, it's not just COVID. Um, we've been whipped a few years in a row. In 2019, General Motors, um, as I mentioned, 93 are customer of ours. And by the way, one of the companies I, I will admit to being just uh, mildly in love with, uh, this is the company where my granddad had a job as a, a custodial worker. My um, While he was there, he noticed some young kids with short sleeve white shirts. You know, this is like the 60s, 70s <laughs> and, and ties. And he said, who are those kids? And somebody said, those are the GMI students. Well, what's GMI? And they said, that's General Motors Institute. That's a, a program where kids can work for six weeks in a GM factory or a GM office. And then they can go to college for six weeks. And that's how they pay their way through. They go every six mm-hmm. weeks between working and studying. And my granddad went right to HR and he found out how to get an application for my dad. And that's how my dad afforded college. And, um, you know, that college still exists today. It's called Kettering University. Yeah. Very proud to, to still be in contact with them. I think we've done over 120 scholarships for kids at the college. So we've definitely tried to pay it forward. Um, but but that, uh, that love affair with GM is strong. And I say that at the same time that, you know, they had a pretty rough strike in 2019. I want to say it was 100 days. It was first time since the 70s they'd had something like that. And that's tough for a supplier like us. And then we had a restructuring in a chapter 11. And it was, it was a consensual restructuring. It took us about three months, which is lightning speed for restructuring. And we do turnaround work, as I've said. So it wasn't out of the realm, but it was a difficult year. So that was 2019. We get to 2020 and we're all breathing a sigh of relief thinking, ha, <laughs> oh, finally, this is going to be our year. And I'll be darned if we didn't get hit with a global pandemic. And the whole industry shut down for four months. And, you know, had it not been for some very uh, creative work on the part of the team and for programs like PPP, I don't know that we would have made it. Or if we had not restructured the year before, I don't know that we would have made it. Um, But by the grace of God, uh, we wouldn't be here. And so 2020, we have the COVID shutdowns. We finally got back up. We were operating at a great clip in September of 2020. And right about that time, it became very obvious that the semiconductor chip shortage was going to be devastating Mm. (laughs) for our industry. And so right when we're thinking, well, 2021 will be it. Uh, This has probably been the hardest of the three years we have had up until last week, not a single week in the year 2021 where all of our locations were open at General Motors and Ford were shutting down critical plants. I mean, these are the plants that make the F-150s, the SUVs that you like, the, the Chevys you drive. I mean, these are iconic brands that consumers know and they've been idled. And when they're not making cars, we're not moving them. And so, you know, yeah, COVID's whipped us, but it's part of a three-year tsunami for us where we had the GM strike, our restructuring, then COVID in 2020, and then the chip shortage in 2021. So what I can say is if I were going to bet on a management team, not just in trucking, but in any industry, I'd bet on mine because for those three years, These guys and gals have rolled with the punches. They have found ways to make it work. And they've done it all without cutting it out of the backs of our people. They've Mm. still prioritized doing the right thing for the people who make the business possible. And so if I'm proud of anything, 
is, is that, that, that this team has weathered some real choppy waters, some huge storms, and they've sort of come out of it still swinging the bat. I mean, what a remarkable group of people I get to work with. Well, it, it certainly is um, sobering to me, and I don't really pretend to understand any of the intricacies, but it is, I guess that's the best word, sobering to me the way the dominoes uh, can fall and apparently have falling, have fallen when you have a shortage of something like semiconductors. I mean, that just impacts a lot of stuff, doesn't it? Everything, right? Wait till Christmas. I, I mean, the semiconductors are just one part of what's happening with supply chains in, in this country and really around the world. But the chip shortage for auto has been brutal. So, you know, to put it in perspective, <clears throat> if any of your listeners have tried to buy a car recently or even just been to a dealership lot, just look around. They're parking the cars at angles. So they take up three spaces so it doesn't look as empty because they have no inventory. Mm -hmm. uh, we have customers telling us that it's going to take them three years and an incremental hundred plus days of production just to replenish the inventories of the dealerships. And that's on top of the three shifts, you know, seven days a week kind of operation that they're going to have for the next few years. And that's all because there are millions of cars. Um, we estimate this pent up demand, people who wanted to buy a car but couldn't, is at minimum uh, a little over 3 million cars. And so, you know, the good news is when we get to the other side of this, it, it should be a really good few years for the company. The, the bad news is consumers right now don't have a lot of options if they want to buy a car. Mm. They, um, and remember, cars are one of those depreciable assets, right? Like the, yeah. we, the, they wear out. You have to replace them in some instances. But more to the point, Americans love to replace them, right? We love cars. This is part of our ethos and the open road and the highway system. And I think, um, I think we're in for, for more disruptions through the rest of this year, probably through Q1. I'm hoping the semiconductor issue is, is largely sorted out in the first half of next year. I think we'll turn a corner probably early next year. But again, that's one piece of the supply chain. You're also looking at container ports that are backed up, warehouses that are full. Um, the Biden administration, I think, very smartly has started to move to 24-7 operations at some of the most congested ports, like those on the West Coast. We're certainly seeing that here in Savannah at the, the container port. And I think... Um, that, that's good, but we still need to do more, right? Throughput, this is operations 101. Throughput needs to consider everything that moves goods out of those ports and starts getting those containers back to Asia or to wherever their point of origin was so they can be replenished. Uh, that may mean we need to look at weight exemptions of, of a few thousand pounds um, mm -hmm. for trucks. Trucks are limited to about 80,000 pounds um, class eight trucks. So what, what most of your listeners would think of as big rigs or, 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 um, uh, you know, sort of heavy trucking, but we might want to consider giving them a 5% exemption, 4,000 pounds just for the first 50 or a hundred or 150 miles out of the port so that they can increase throughput by 5%. And I think those are the kinds of solutions that we're going to need to use. Um, you know, if it were up to me, I'd probably add incentive to that and say, if you'll convert your fleet to zero emissions, whether that's natural gas powered vehicles, 
electric trucks, you know, I think fuel cells are coming along, but I'd probably allow those weight exemptions um, for for zero emissions vehicles more broadly, because I think that's a great way to start to transition our industry um, toward carbon neutrality. But, but we're going to have a lot to deal with. And I think consumers are going to be very aware of this as the holiday season approaches. Um, it's, you know, I'm glad I'm not a mom in the 1980s looking for a cabbage patch doll this year, right? <laughs> you would right, not find right. it. <laughs> uh, yeah, the supply chain issues are real. So shop early um, and, and I think manage expectations for the littles because this is going to be a rough one. Now, as I understand it, you have been all along and continue to be adamant, I guess is the right word, uh, that there should not be another auto bailout. Is that accurate? Yeah, it is. And and I can explain why. So first and foremost, I want to say that uh, I became a Democrat in large part because of Barack Obama over the health care issue. But if I had to pick a second issue, I would say because of the auto bailout. It, there's no question it saved our industry it saved our company. It saved thousands of jobs uh, just in my little business. And so I am grateful for what was done during the Great Recession with the auto industry bailout. But at this point, I think the automakers are going to be okay. I'm sure it's not going to be their most comfortable years of margin. What I'm really worried about is the suppliers. Um, companies like Jack Cooper, you know, a lot of people don't talk about this, but during the Great Recession, there were thousands of suppliers in our industry that went bankrupt. Um, there were dozens just in my industry that no longer exist. I, I can think of a million companies, uh, PTS being one of the biggest examples. Um, I think they went straight into liquidation. There was Allied Systems Holdings based out of Atlanta. They went into bankruptcy. We bought them out of the bankruptcy. So we were able to save you know, probably 1,200 jobs there. Mm. But there were literally uh, you know, half a dozen, a dozen companies just in my space, my little segment of car haul that disappeared. But there were thousands of suppliers to the industry that went under. And it's usually disproportionately the small guys, the mom and pops, you know, the people just kind of like doing their best to create something that's theirs and to provide a good product at a good price. Those are the guys that get walloped. Uh, most of the bigger companies will be okay. So if, if there were going to be another bailout, I would certainly hope they'd look at the suppliers who can't control whether or not there's a shortage of semiconductor chips, right? Um, we have 2,500 employees and we're based really entirely in North America. Um, Delta COVID waves in Malaysia, the Philippines, Vietnam have massively disrupted semiconductor chip production, but there's not a darn thing Jack Cooper can do about that. Um, and I think about the companies that make everything from the interior of the vehicles, the materials they use. You know, there's been a rubber shortage during COVID as well. Um, Did not glass. realize that. Wow. Okay. Yeah. There's there's all kinds of yeah. little players, the people who make components of the parts that are supplied to the auto industry. So I'm always in favor of the U.S. investing in this sector. There are 8 million jobs in this country directly tied to the automotive industry. If you look at dealerships, manufacturing, logistics, this is a job creation machine in America. So I'm in favor of investing. But if we were going to look at a bailout, they need to be looking at the suppliers like Jack Cooper, like the smaller players even, <clears throat> 
who've been hit by these through no fault of their own. And honestly, the one-two punch of the COVID shutdowns last year and the chip shortage this year, I think that's going to be fatal for a lot of these companies if they're not given some assistance. So we're very fortunate. PPP, I think, got a lot of companies through last year. Uh, But I do. I worry about some of the smaller players in particular and whether or not they'll make it. Um, We've been very lucky at Jack Cooper. You know, this year, there are a lot of moments where you felt like you were kind of holding it together with duct tape and chewing gum, um, metaphorically. But, you know, there have got to be people out there that are really struggling for cash. And I, I worry what happens to them. Um, I think that the automakers are really doing well right now, all things considered. This is a brutal time, but they're doing the best they can to navigate those waters. And what I love is that they're continuing their mission, mm-hmm. right? Uh, Mary Barra is talking about transitioning to an all-electric product lineup by 2035. I mean, that's extraordinary. Um, she's talking about introducing 30 new EV products by mid-decade this decade. Mm-hmm. And so... They're they're continuing to move the ball down the field. They're continuing to create really new and exciting pro- products. I mean, look at the the new Corvettes. I mean, my gosh, they're beautiful machines. <laughs> yeah, uh, very proudly moved by Jack Cooper. By the way, I'm very proud of that. Um, but you know, the the Broncos sold out. The new Broncos. A lot of the new EV models are selling out within hours. You have the Mustang Mach E uh, being made down in Mexico and coming up here. There's some great products. So I think the automakers are going to be fine, but I do worry about the supply chain. And and candidly, I'm not hearing a ton of rumbling about uh, bailouts, but but if they do, I will be very loud that this should be directed at some of the companies that are kind of more on the margins of of the supply chain. Well, it makes perfect sense to me. And and based on this conversation, I sure hope that the powers to be, the administration will at at least uh, lean on and take and listen to to experts in logistics and and major players uh, in in the supply world and get that, uh, you know, and, and try to get the benefit of that knowledge and experience base to influence these critical decisions that they'll be making. Yeah, I mean, I think they do. And I think they try, right? It's it's a, it's a big country. It's a big industry, um, right? We talked about 3 million CDL holders. Um, trucking is a big sector, but I think relying on expertise is really important. Um, we don't always have subject matter experts in government. Um, we have a lot of them, but car haul, just as an example, what we do is a very small niche. There may be 15, 20,000 rigs total in in the continent. And I think it's probably closer to 12, to be honest. Um, and at least, you know, a couple thousand of those are ours. So it's, it's a, it's a niche market. There's plenty of specialized transportation niches um, where I would, I would be very dubious that we happen to have an expert in car hall um, working on that problem. And I think if they can lean into the executives, like, like we are out in the field and the drivers also, right? Um, they're, they're seeing a lot of these effects up front as well, um, up close and personal. So I hope they lean on us. They, they seem to be listening, but I think we're in a, a period of tremendous uncertainty right now. And writing the supply chain overall, not just the chip shortage, you know, we're potentially looking at a couple of years of disruption still. 
Earlier in the in the conversation, I, I think you mentioned something about uh, Jack Cooper being a uh, WeBank certified women-owned business uh-huh. enterprise. Uh, could you speak to that a little bit? The process, the the value, your your take on um, on on that on that. Yeah, sure. I'm. I love this organization. So we're probably on the larger side of certified businesses. We have to go through a little bit of a special process because of our size. Um, but we're very fortunate. Um, my mom, my sisters, and I control the company. And on the board, um, I think I outvote all of the other directors combined. So we're very clearly owned and operated by women. Um, and, you know, I have two sisters and no brothers. So I'm not going to lie. We're, we're very proud of that. And it, <laughs> and it changes the way you operate, too, right? I remember one of the first things when I was chairman was... Um, Childcare in this country is such a crisis for working parents, but for working mothers in particular. And we ended up just putting a daycare in Kennesaw uh, free to our employees because we could not crack that nut for our employees. And we knew it was limiting the number of working moms and parents we could get. Uh, We, of course, had men and women who used the service. Um, Paid leave was another thing that I implemented, getting uh, paid leave, whether you adopt a child or have a child or foster a child. Foster parents also qualify for paid leave in our business. So um, being women-owned is something we're proud of. We're a little bit unique. Uh, We don't do government contracting or anything like that. So we're not, I think a lot of companies, the certification is really important because there are set-aside budgets for diversity suppliers in, for example, federal contracting. We don't use it that way. For us, it's more of a way to hang our hat, um, to hang our sign on the front door, so to speak, to say, this is a company that that is investing in women and investing in, in diversity, equity, and inclusion. Um, but I do think it's important to some of our customers. Um, yeah. The auto industry, a lot of your listeners may not be familiar with it, but they really are exemplary on this. When it comes to supplier diversity, whether that's women-owned, disabled veteran-owned, minority-owned, these companies have billions of dollars in commitments for supplier diversity spend. And so we're very proud to contribute a part of that in in transportation and logistics. The process itself, the WeBank agency, I can't say enough good things. It is rigorous. So for any of your uh, female entrepreneurs out there listening, I highly encourage you to seek certification. For any of your listeners that are wondering whether it's a real thing, right, or if it's just kind of an easy sticker and logo you can get, it is not. Uh, This is a tough certification. They tour your sites. They talk to your team. Um, I had to explain business units you know, two or three levels down the organization, down to the granular nature of their operations. For example, in Southfield, Michigan, we have an office that stores keys and titles for rental car companies. And I actually had to explain what the physical vault was for those products. So it's, it is a very granular and, and, you know, of course that those are all things I'm very familiar with, but I spend most of my work in capital markets, strategic planning, mergers and acquisitions, Um, and you know, if you were not somebody who was very involved in the operation of the business, I, I don't think you would pass muster on the screen. Um, it is a rigorous 
long-term, lots of paperwork, lots of legal structure review process. Um, And it should be, right? Because people shouldn't be able to get this certification if they're not actually run by women. And so I I felt very good about the process. I think the women there, even now they've known us for years, right? They still hit me with the tough questions every, (laughs) every year when we get certified and, you know, and they know I know the answers, but, um, but I appreciate it. And I think for a lot of smaller companies, the networking value, meeting Mm. other women who own and operate businesses, that's a tough thing. Anybody who's ever had to make a payroll knows it. This is not easy. And so I think having that network is a wonderful resource, but for us, it's a statement of values. And I think that's a consistent theme as we've talked about today for us, it is finding how can we tell the world that we don't just claim values, but we live them, that you can trace everything we tell you about who we are to the way we operate that business. And and by the way, you're going to make mistakes. Like along the way, something's not going to go right, especially when you have thousands of employees. Yeah. But the commitment has to be to go in and fix it, to, to be committed to that constant, consistent work of improving the environment and, and advancing those goals and those values. Let's leave our listeners, if we can, with some, some points of contact, some, some coordinates that they would like to dive in and learn more about any of these topics. Of course, it wouldn't surprise me if we've got listeners that want to see if there's any way at all they could come work with Sarah Riggs Amico and <laughs> Jack Cooper. Uh, what, you know, whatever's appropriate, a, a, you know, a, a website, a, a LinkedIn, whatever contact information or resources. Um, and yes, I too would encourage them to uh, kind of look into this, this WeBank organization. Full disclosure, we, um, for our listeners here at the Business Radio X Network, we've had the, the distinct pleasure for the last couple of years of uh, co-producing um, a, a uh, radio show series with the Greater Women's Business Council here in the, in the region and so I've been on the periphery of some of these conversations around WeBank certification and have had the pleasure of interviewing. We have several of those, of those members. But at any rate, if you, if you would, Sarah, uh, let's, let's do leave our listeners with you know, a place to go and, and, and learn more and, and continue the uh, conversation if they can. Yeah, absolutely. So you can follow us on Twitter at Drive at Jack Cooper. You can go to our website, jackcooper.com. You can, um, you can follow up at me on Twitter at Sarah Riggs Amico. I'm constantly talking about the business. I, uh, I can't share a ton right now, but I will be able to soon. I am heading out of the country tomorrow um, to go to a pretty exciting summit with a lot of heads of state, a few chief executives um, talking about how we can achieve carbon neutrality and how we can advance women in these industries. So I am super excited about that, but I'm at Sarah Riggs Amico and, and, you know, call us, email us. Uh, my DMs are usually open and I am always willing to, to meet smart folks who want to be a part of finished vehicle logistics. Um, it's, it is a tough, but really rewarding industry. And I'll just close with this. Um, if you think about it, Uh, In the time that we've been in this business, our family, we have been through the stock market crash in 2008, the Great Recession, the bankruptcies of two of our largest customers, um, 
uh, one of the largest strikes in our industry in decades, our own restructuring in Chapter 11, a global pandemic, and now a global supply chain disruption and <laughs> semiconductor chip shortage. The, this is not the place you come to hang out and coast. <laughs> um, but if you are an innovative problem solver who likes dynamic industries and really dynamic, amazing teams, we're a great fit for you. So when we went through um, one of our big transactions a few years ago, I got the chance to, to do the thank yous for our team that led that effort. And if you know the story of Ernest Shackleton, a famous early 20th century explorer whose ship was stuck in Antarctica for a year, and he managed somehow, you know, back uh, before there were even things like crampons with the, the, the ice gripping shoes mm. to save every single life of the, I think it was 26 men or so in his care who survived in Antarctica Um for a year under his leadership. And if you've never read it, uh, Shackleton is a great, uh, I think the book is called The Endurance, which was the name of their ship. But he he had a very famous advertisement for his crew before they set sail. And when I gave the awards to our team for leading some through some of these really difficult times, I gave them a copy of this poster. And his poster said, men wanted for hazardous journey, small wages, bitter cold, Long months of complete darkness, constant danger, safe return doubtful, honor and recognition in case of success. <laughs> and, you know, if you think about it, it's no wonder they all survived. It was a self-selected group of people who wanted to go out and make the world better, to take human knowledge further than it had been. And they understood the hazards. Um, and, and certainly in our case, I wouldn't say small wages. Um, uh, <laughs> we, try to, we try to be on market there. But uh, that's the kind of ethos I'm looking for. The people who look at the horizon and the world we don't yet know or how to do things better in a way we don't yet understand, those are the people that I want on my team um, who, who can navigate those tough waters and come out of it on the, the, better side, the other side better for it. Uh, what, what's the old saying? Uh, a smooth sea is never made for a fine sailor. <laughs> What a marvelous way to, to wrap this inspiring and informative conversation. Sarah, it has been an absolute delight having you on the show. And I hope you'll um, seriously consider joining us again sometime, updating us, because this story is going to continue to unfold. Your story is going to continue to unfold. And I think it uh, will provide so much marvelous benefit uh, to, to the folks that we're all trying to serve out there. I can't thank you enough for investing the time and energy to, to visit with us this morning. Well, Stone, it's been such an honor and I'm so grateful you're taking the time to let me brag on some of the folks I get to work with and, and to highlight the trucking industry. Um, it, this has been an absolute pleasure and I hope we'll get a chance to talk again soon. All right. This is Stone Payton for our guest today, Sarah Riggs Amico with Jack Cooper Investments and everyone here at the Business Radio X family saying we'll see you next time on Workplace Wisdom. Yeah.